Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I'm Ken Levine, your podcast host. This is part two of my two-part interview with Michael Uslan. And Michael is the originator and executive producer of the Batman movie franchise. Last week, we talked a lot about the Tim Burton Batman movie. We talked a lot about the legend of Batman. If you missed it, after you listen to this episode... Go back and check that one out. This week, we're going to talk more about the movie franchise, the various reboots, the various actors who played Batman. We'll get into Chris Nolan a little bit. And also, we're going to segue into Superman and why I hate Zack Snyder. Mike Uslan, part two, this week on Hollywood and Levine. Did you have any idea when it opened that it would be as huge, as phenomenal as as it was? Because I was one of those guys that stood in line in Westwood that was around the theater. I stood in line for like an hour and a half to get in and see like a midnight show of that. Yeah, I did. <laughs> uh, I never doubted it for a moment, even when one studio after another was telling me to go to hell. It was a terrible idea. Um, I totally believed in this. I knew it would be a box office success. And I didn't understand that it would have the long lasting cultural impact it has uh, globally. Uh, and, and that's more important maybe than anything uh, to this story. It, it, it changed the world culture's perception of comic books and superheroes. And that was pretty amazing. You know, in the, that magical summer of 1989, uh, you, you couldn't walk through Times Square, seriously, 20 steps without seeing someone wearing either a Batman T-shirt or a Batman cap. When the posters initially came out, the big billboard in Times Square and other places, I had never seen anything like it in my life. It was the first movie poster and billboard that did not have the name of the movie on it. All it had was, was a symbol, symbol that symbol of the bat, and it said June 23rd but it seemed like everybody on the planet Earth knew what was coming and knew what it was. That was incredible. But probably the most brilliant marketing campaign pre-internet, um, I think, in the history of movies. Okay, now, then there's a series of sequels, um, some better than others, uh, <laughs> the Joel Schumacher with uh, 
with Mr. Freeze, the California governor is Mr. Freeze. Uh, mm. But so then there was the reboot with Christopher Nolan. Now, how is his vision different? And why, again, go back and do an origin story when everyone has already seen the origin story 15 times? Okay, so let's back up on this story. First, I want to say Joel Schumacher was one of the nicest, uh, most decent human beings you would ever want to meet. And a, a very talented, talented man in his own right. When, now, let me talk generally here, as opposed to specifically about Batman. Generally, Ken, in the movie industry, um, what used to be movie studios are now international conglomerates. They own a lot of businesses that grease a lot of wheels. Sometimes, generally, in the motion picture industry, uh, studio execs can become very enamored with such things as toys and games and Happy Meals. When that happens, generally, um, something suffers. And it's usually when they dictate to a filmmaker that a filmmaker must make a movie light, bright, kitty-friendly, and family-friendly to be accommodating to the licensees and that the toy companies require a minimum of three heroes or three villains uh, in a movie, and each must have two costume changes and two vehicles, then to me, from my own perspective, the tail is wagging the dog. You're no longer making movies. What you're actually making are two-hour infomercials for toys. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't see Good very much of a chance of success. Yeah. Yeah. Good Stories out the window. Character development out the window. So um, I've seen that generally happen in the industry. No matter how strenuously I would attempt to point anything out like that, um, as my uh, partner Ben said to me, um, sometimes they just got to get bitten on the ass, and um, then the next time maybe they'll do it your way. So the great news Coming back to Batman, the great news is that the new management at the studio at the time had the guts and the bravery to entrust its most valuable franchise to an independent filmmaker who clearly had an understanding of the character, a love for the character, a passion for the character, a vision for the character in the belief that he could execute that vision. So as I look back over my career, uh, I believe I've been lucky enough to have been involved in projects with six people I now classify as geniuses. And Chris Nolan is definitely one of those. Me and who are the other five? Tim Burton, my dear friend Anton First, who won the Oscar for his production design on Batman 89. Okay. He was the one who created the whole look of Gotham City the Batmobile, Anton's work resonates today on every movie, every genre movie made. All the world building, it all goes back to his influence. Okay. Um, Chris, and more recently, um, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who um, I was proud to be an executive producer on the Lego movie that they are responsible for. And then to see that breakthrough daring and create a vision, move on to into the Spideyverse, 
that was it for me. These guys deserve that status. I mean, I love those guys from Clone High. So, <laughs> uh, um, they, they they have earned that status in my book. And uh, the most recent one is uh, Todd Phillips. Uh, Todd had, I think, the genius to completely think out of the box in bringing Joker to life in a way that was so important, thematically important, and reflective of where our society is. Um, I think in terms of legacy, there have been three times when Batman-related movies have changed Hollywood and changed the world in in its own way. Batman 89, Dark Knight, and Joker. And that's an amazing accomplishment to have happened. Three times they've redefined what a comic book movie could be. Um, so that, that was pretty amazing. But get back to Chris. So he, he basically had the job of restoring the darkness and dignity to Batman. And he wanted to accomplish the same things, in my opinion, that Tim Burton wanted, but was going to do it 180 degrees differently. He was not going to build five square city blocks of Gotham City on the back lot of Pinewood Studios. He was going to try to make the world believe that the Batman story, that Bruce Wayne, again, the focal point is Bruce Wayne, could be real today. That we no longer live in a comic book world of black and white, good versus evil, but at least since 9-11, our world is a gray world of order versus chaos, and he wanted to reflect that. So he had huge creative challenges. So instead of building Gotham City, he wanted to find it. And by his choice of Chicago, if you take two iconic buildings out of the skyline of Chicago, most people around the world won't identify the city. It's true. Uh, I said that's true. Yeah, I, it, it was a, a great, important choice. And um, it made people believe the Gotham City could be real. His choice of Christian Bale and how that was crafted Um, made audiences believe, you know, you could have a young man with post-traumatic stress syndrome going off on a journey of self-discovery right out of Lost Horizon and then returning and putting on the armor or or the mask and doing what he was doing in our world. The next big challenge was how did he convince audiences around the world that the Joker could be real? Well, by what I think is the performance of a lifetime by Heath with Chris, they turned the Joker into a modern day terrorist, um, a homicidal maniac who placed no value on human life whatsoever. And people were truly scared of this character, scared of this character. And maybe the hardest challenge he had in terms of trying to make the whole thing feel real. How do you make all the crazy technology and gadgets real. And he figured it out. He hired Morgan Freeman to tell everybody they were real. And if Morgan (laughs) Freeman says it's true, by God, it's true. So um, that to me was was astounding. And people say to me, which is your favorite Batman movie of Chris Nolan's? I said, Chris only made one Batman movie. It's one Batman movie in three acts. It has the most beautiful structure. Every setup has a payoff. Every payoff has a planted setup. Every character has an arc. It's just, as you watch the three of them, it's just absolutely brilliantly done. How is he to work with? 
a gentleman among gentlemen. His wife, Emma, was producer on it. You, you couldn't ask for nicer, more creative, more passionate people. Uh, you know, Chris would show up every day on the set in a uh, jacket and tie, suit and tie. It was like huh. he brought classic Hollywood back to the set. And that demeanor became reflected in everybody working on that picture day by day. Now, did you ever have clashes with him and Tim Burton? Did No, huh? No, no. Um, yeah, I mean, there were issues like, one of the things I really protested because I'm a comic book geek was, um, all right, if you're going to change the origin of Batman and have the Joker be the one to shoot the parents, I know it was Joe Chill. So you got to have at least the second guy with him um, <laughs> that geeks like me can say, okay, that guy's Joe Chill. And then I even went, I went back to Bob Kane. Um, Bill was long gone by then. And um, I said, Bob, how do you feel about this change? This is, this is a big change, and I'm concerned. And he said, Michael, if we had created the Joker um, at the time of Batman's origin, if he had already been created, he goes, I would have gone with that in a heartbeat. Uh, he goes, I'm totally fine with this. And, and that gave me a little solace. Yeah. Now, Batman, like Superman, is not supposed to kill people. Well, it depends on what issues you're looking at. Uh, in 1939, he did a bit of that because he was, at that time, still trying to find his way out of the um, influence of the shadow and a lot of the pulp uh, characters of the day. Um, so, yeah, in the early days, you can see that happening. But, yes, this, this, is a, this is an important ideological issue that fans and pros have debated for decades. Okay, now there's kind of a fine line in that I love I love the darkness of Batman and it seems to really fit the character and the whole mood of it. On the other hand, I hate Zack Snyder and I hate what they did to Superman. I hate how they made Superman so incredibly dark and ugly. And now you have the two together in Batman versus Superman, which, first of all, seemed weird to me because, as I always remembered it in the comic books, they were allies. They always worked together and appreciated each other. They weren't rivals. So now you have your character of Batman in the hands of Zack Snyder. What was that like? First, let me say that Zach and his wife, Debbie, again, two of the nicest people. I'm sure they're, they're, they're lovely really, really people. Great, You'd great, love great to have people. them as neighbors. And um, I hate his me, movies. <laughs> let, let me depersonalize this and take you back to a conversation I had uh, more times than I care to count with various uh, studio people over the years. And that is... Um, what you're missing, not being hardcore comic book fans historically, is the fact that Batman was successful being dark and serious 
because that was part of the integrity of the character mm-hmm. and the way it was created. That's why Dark and Serious works so great on Batman. It was meant to. It's part of who he is. It's part of the fan experience and the reader experience in the comic books. I said, that does not mean that Dark and Serious is the reason all comic book superhero movies will work. So it doesn't make sense to take the Batman persona and place it on the Atom or Hawkman or this character or that character. And as the... Um, as they moved more and more into that arena, I finally said to them, you know what? If you folks were, were doing a Casper movie, you would be making Casper the unfriendly ghost. <laughs> I said, it's in complete contravention to what makes Casper Casper and what makes him popular. And I said, you can't drift It is not dark and serious that makes successful comic book movies. It is dark and serious that makes successful Batman movies. And that's been my philosophy. Yeah, see, to me, because I loved Superman as well, but sort of for a different reason, as a kid, you want to be Superman, right? You know, you want to put on a cape and pretend that you can fly and that you have superpowers that wouldn't it be fun to be Superman? And you watch the Zack Snyder Superman movies and you go, God, I don't want to be him. Jesus. It's <laughs> you know, terrible. Super, Superman to me was always about one word. It was about hope. And without hope, um, he has legs of jelly. And I go back on a different level, Ken. Growing up when I did, and I have since talked to a lot of younger fans And it seems that this rule managed to apply at least through people who have read comic books through the 80s and 90s. And that is that the superheroes and the comic book superheroes, reading those as kids when I was, I started at five, um, eight years old, 12 years old, 16 years old, 19 years old. Those stories, those characters significantly impact my own development of my own code of ethics and morals. They were role models to me. And to this very day, I like to think that a lot of my actions and the way I carry myself, whether personally or in business, is reflective of not just what my parents taught me or my family or my teachers, but also what I learned from my comic book superheroes. Well, this explains why you're wearing that cape. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, as I uh, prepare to jump off the roof and prove Frederick Wortham was right all the time. <laughs> um, yeah, but, but, but I think that's, that's generally true. They've had that kind of an impact. And I would love to see that level of responsibility, that level of what makes them superheroes uh, carried forward in, in a way that isn't simply schmaltzy and old-fashioned but is uh, part of the thematic importance of these movies. Well, you have another Batman movie that's coming up. Yes. Right? Yes. Next up, let's see, October 2021. And let's go right to the director, the filmmaker, Matt Reeves. 
And I go back to what I've said about Burton, what I said about Nolan, what I said about Phillips. Um, when there is a filmmaker who is clearly passionate, understands a character, knows a character, loves a character, has a vision for a character, and you believe knows how to execute that vision, then Batman is in great hands. And at this point in time, uh, I think Ben started it calling me Batman's Batman, that I have always tried to protect him and defend him and keep him from harm uh, from people or filmmakers who would attempt to do him harm. I do the best I, I possibly can, uh, even when it's against my own personal interests uh, business-wise. And um, I couldn't be more excited, happier. I was looking over some old uh, emails and pre-emails from the uh, early 90s and mid-90s and late 90s uh, pleading with certain studio execs that Batman is the world's greatest detective and we have yet to see a trace of that and how important that is to who he is. And there needs to be a bit of a turn away from action and gadgets to get there. Well, the fact that that happens to be an integral part of Matt Reeves' vision um, is, is terrific for all true Batman fans. And wasn't Batman, Bruce Wayne, uh, also like a master of disguises? I seem to recall that in a lot of comic books. He was. Uh, one of his more famous disguises was an underworld figure named Matches Malone. Um, this is probably uh, influence of, again, the shadow. Even the Lone Ranger used to go out there in various disguises. Um, but, yeah, it's part of the heroic uh, mythology you know, behind, the, behind the characters like this. So I think um, I, I couldn't be happier about what's coming. It's going to be very, very exciting for uh, Batman fans. And um, th there are some great things in development. Uh, and everybody just has to kind of stay tuned. But uh, you should stay tuned in Same great anticipation. Yeah. Same who's, Bat Channel. Who's a Batman? And, who's the new Batman? Uh, Robert Pattinson. Okay. And it's a... You didn't young, call me. <laughs> you, you didn't call me to to, to apply. No, I, ju I just got beat out by you know by Christian Bale, and I thought, okay, well, the next one for sure. Well, we need a Batman who can see in the dark. You know, um, <laughs> got to have really special vision to do that. Um, so you know, it. You will hear stories. You will hear rumors. You will hear things about people coming back on board to uh, the world of Batman. There's, there's just a lot of exciting things in the works. And uh, again, it's, it's one of the reasons this character is so malleable and has been portrayed, whether you're talking about movies, animation, comic books, so many different ways from one extreme to another. And amazingly, he continues to find his audience and people love it. The only question remaining for all the fans is who is your true Batman? Is it the Adam West version? Because no. that's what you grew up with as a kid. Nah. Is, is it the uh, comic book work of Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams from the uh, 70s and 80s? And um, is it um, Michael Keaton? Is it Christian Bale? Fans debate this day and night. It's and anyone other than Val Kilmer. 
Uh, I might add one more to that, but I'm, I'm not going to go there. Um, okay, then I will. George Clooney. <laughs> <laughs> the only point I'm, I'm trying to make is that um, probably it was whichever Batman you were first exposed to when you were eight or 12 or whatever will forever be your one true Batman. And that's great that we all have these different versions and that little kids can now watch the old TV shows as their entry point into the world of Batman. Or you could pick up um, the movie uh, Batman Meets Scooby-Doo and introduce little kids to the world of Batman and then slowly watch as they grow into the movies themselves, the um, video games and everything else in the world of Batman. Uh, particularly the comic books. And maybe one important thing that I've got to mention, they don't get the spotlight enough. The writers and artists and editors who for 81 years have kept everyone coming back to the store on a weekly basis to find out what's happening next to Batman, which villain is going to appear, which villain is going to seemingly come back from the dead, um, that's incredible that they've been able to do that. And they really don't get the spotlight that they deserve. And so just a tip of the hat to everybody uh, since 1939 who has passed through the portals of DC Comics and kept Batman vibrant, alive, uh, changing, but not changing. Okay, I have a confession to make. When I was 12 and 13, I used to write and draw comics for myself. I did too. Yeah, I still have them. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> Some of I've the ones always I loved the genre. Correct anymore, though. <laughs> <laughs> Wonder if the rights to Superman are available. So let me see. It costs you what? A couple hundred bucks? Yeah, I mean. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that. That's the case, Ken. I guess at the end of the day, you know, when people hear that. As a kid in my 20s, I bought the rights to Batman. It, it's completely impossible, inconceivable, and unbelievable. And only when they get the story and set it in the context of the times do they realize and appreciate the, the actual answer to the question, how did it happen? And it was I was the only one on the planet Earth who showed up. Right, and it took you 10 years. And then after that, it took 10 years. Yeah, yeah. Well... On behalf of all the Batman fans around the world, thank you for your perseverance. <laughs> thank you for your diligence and overseeing the character and protecting the character. Um, I love Batman. Uh, I love you for making it happen. Ken, thank you so much. And uh, remembering the first day we met, which was in the 70s. That's right. Uh, and it was pre Batman and was pre going for the rights um, and, and looking at the twists and turns of our lives and our careers. And the fact here we are 40 years later, yeah. still standing and having some great stories to tell, some great recollections and knowing that to a lot of people, we were able to entertain and inform them and pass along a message or two. That's pretty awesome, Ken. Yeah, oh, I agree. I mean, the fact that people are still watching shows that I wrote some years ago and are still watching and appreciating 
um, your movies. Um, yeah, we're very, very lucky in that regard. We really, really are. Absolutely. Take care. Thank you, friend. Mike. Anytime. Special thanks to Mike Uslan. This was a really fun two-parter. Hope you enjoyed it. Our thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, to Howard Hoffman, and to John Wolfert, and Bruce and Jason Miller. Want to email me? Very easy to do. HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com. That's my email address. HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com. I'm on Twitter isn't everybody? At Ken Levine. Even Vin Scully is on Twitter now. Also on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. And you're going to go right now and follow Vin Scully and leave me like, yeah, okay, I get it. All right. Uh, subscribe if you haven't. Thanks so much for listening. Stay safe. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Hollywood and Levine. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. Like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.